Today's lesson is brought to you by the Apostle Paul. As he writes to Titus, we're going to be looking at chapter 3. And I think the, you know, the message that we receive and, and was particularly pointed today at us for our communion, thinking about God could have done any kind of magnificent deeds, miracles, great and grand through Jesus Christ. Jesus did perform great miracles, right? But the reason he has changed our lives is not because we know his power, but because we know his love for us. Greatest thing he did was go to the cross for us. God dying for us. We're reminded of that every Sunday. God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son. What a beautiful Wonderful thought, amazing, beyond words, beyond description of what God has done for us personally. And that gift, the life of his own son is a sacrifice to save us. That comes to us and that's part of a, when we believe and grab hold of that, that gospel, that good news, changes us. And that change is related to us in Titus chapter 3. And the essence of it, I think, is going to be um, reiterated in our song of encouragement, take my life and let it be. Did I? Yes. God, you've done so much for us. I want you in my life. I want to live fully for you. Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 is where we begin today. And I've got um, a follow-up message. I was going to do this in one message. We're actually breaking down verses 1 through 11. It's going to be three lessons. Originally, it was going to be two lessons. I got this stuff that's on the paper today, and we're like, ah, it's going to have to be three. So, verse by verse in Titus chapter 3. You can follow along on the outline a little bit, but the main thing is to have your Bible opened and see what God says. I want to start with Titus chapter 2, verse number 15. So here is Paul talking to his young protege, this, uh, this one who is, he is mentoring and telling him how to be a, a good minister, um, a, a great pastor and teacher for the church where he is at in, on the island of Crete. Verse 15 says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So he had an agenda with everything he had to say before this, and we talked about that a little bit, especially in chapter 1, there were some people that were teaching some false doctrines. So he was saying, you have to stand up against them. And now he just kind of summarized, you got to put the message forth, teach the truth, let no one disregard you. 
And then as you get to chapter 3, you see that kind of opens him up. And here's some more things, some very important some things. I think some basic things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he shares these points with him. So Titus chapter 3 and verse number 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. So I'm just going to pause there. We'll save the rest for getting to that part for next week. But he basically lists some things here, some very basic things about the fact that as followers of Jesus, we are to be these things. This is who we are in Christ. If you are young in the faith, you can look here and you say, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When you see the life of Christ, you see these things that, that are, are listed here. These things are exemplified by Christ Jesus in his life. And they are things for us to follow. We're to be reminded of this. And we must be reminded of these things constantly because these, as we look at them today and just pause and think about each one of these one by one, it is hard to do. I'll say it's impossible to do. Much like it's impossible for a rich man to, to enter the kingdom of God. Yet with God, all things are possible. With God. With God, we can do these things. With God, we can be these things. So as followers of Jesus, we must, number one, be subject to rulers, to authorities. Be subject. Of course, on down the very next one says be obedient. What is it about us? We don't like to do that, do we? I know I didn't when I was a kid. There were times that I was, uh, you know, okay, I'll do that. But many times, somebody tell me something to do, and I'm like, I'm going to, yeah, okay, I'm going to say I'll do it, but then I'm going to pause a little bit just to assert me into it that I'm the one deciding to do it on my own good time when I want to. I always think back to probably the time when I was probably more junior high age because I didn't have much homework before then, so I know I had homework. I was old enough to have homework. And I remember I'd come home from school. I always blamed my brother for turning the TV on. I don't think I ever did it, but... Maybe Rex beat me home, and he, was, uh, he would get home and turn the TV on. I would sit down and start watching TV. He might take off, but I'd sit there and continue watching TV. My mom would say, Eric, do you have any homework? Yeah, I got some. Well, you think maybe now's a good time to get started on that? Yeah, I'm going to in a minute. I might have been intending, I might have been telling myself I need to get up and do my homework. Now's the time for me to do my homework. I know I need to do it. But then I just, ah, just watch one more show. (laughs) 
just wanting to assert my own authority, be my own person, make my own decisions, not listening to good old mom. We don't like to be subject to rulers. We don't like to be obedient in everything. We want to be master of ourselves. That's our nature. That's our flesh that comes through in us. I kind of doubt that I am unique in that. See a couple of smiles. Maybe we're all a little bit like that. I think we are. But we, as followers of Jesus, we must be subject to rulers and authorities. Are we good at this? Eh, Not always. Sometimes it's easier than at other times. Sometimes we agree with the person who might be in charge and they tell us, To do something, we're like, yeah, that's good. I'm going to go right to it. But what about when we don't really like what the ruler or the authority, what our boss or what the what the mayor or what the what the uh, the elder or deacon in the church or what the president or the Congress or we don't always like what we're told to do. So we're not always good about this. But as you look at this verse, it doesn't qualify things it just says be subject to rulers it doesn't say only when they're good it says be subject to them be subject to rulers to authorities be obedient when our parents do say to do something we don't like to do we might say okay i'll do that and maybe it's okay to dis- to sometimes assert your thoughts and say, but have you considered this? You could talk to your parents reasonably. But when they say no, do it. You're to be obedient and subject to rulers and authorities. With us as adults, um, I just had to get that parent plug in there, right? (laughs) Boys and I, Everybody looking up, nods on the head, maybe. (laughs) Us? What about us? When it comes to the political parties, man, everybody is so divided. And man, we might be gung-ho. Yeah, the government, hey, this is is great, man. We got to listen and be obedient. And then the next, the other party gets in and we're like, oh, they're terrible. I'm not doing that. That's awful, you know, and we start talking bad. God's word says be subject to rulers and authorities. And the other question I have with this is do we look for ways to be excused from this? You know, when it comes to uh, politics, I might not agree with the president. That's when I back up and I have my, I throw out my trump card. It's like, well, I'm not really subject to any person or anybody, I'm subject to that document. You know, I'm subject to the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence. That's what I follow. That's the authority. There might be some truth to that. I kind of like my argument. But the point is that we shouldn't make up excuses about whether or not we're going to follow the speed limit, whether or not we're going to pay some tax. We are obedient. We are subject to the rulers and authorities. We do what we are supposed to do. 
That's true with our parents. That's true with our boss. That's true with the government. It's any ruler, any authority. Be obedient. Be very good at that. Jesus is our model. He was very good at that. Number two, be obedient. So the first, the first three things that are mentioned there, they kind of all run together, don't they? Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. So that just fits right with what we were talking about. And then number, a third thing is to be ready for every good deed. Be ready for every good deed. And I just love this kind of blanket statement. Well, hey, define every good deed. You know, good deed. What's it mean to be good? How am I supposed to be a good neighbor? How, you know, we start, we want to wrap our hands around it and say, it's this, it's this, it's this. Make it nice and easy. But he just makes that blanket say, hey, do good. Be ready. Always be prepared to do something good. Do you know what is good? Do you know what is good? A lot of the other things that are going to be defined in here um, and listed here are things that are good. You know, being obedient, being subject to the authorities, that, those are good things. There's a lot more good things than that. But know what is good. Know what is good. According to God's word, know what is good. Be ready to do it. And when you think about, as you go through your day, there are so many times that we have opportunities to do something good. There are opportunities sometimes we can do something good that is really significant. And then there are other times that we can do good that it just seems like a little bit, you know, that's not that necessary. I don't really need to do that. There's no harm if I don't do that. But if you know something good to do and you don't do it it is sin so do good be prepared to do good i think when i when it comes to this verse be ready for every good deed when i think of this verse i it it makes me want to say this and i i don't remember if i ended up putting this oh yeah in the bottom of the paper the last half i said we must be annoyingly good right so the reason i say that and i don't we shouldn't be annoying to people right but do you know someone oh, who is so good that they are almost annoying? <laughs> Somebody who is so smiling all the time and ready to, to do something good. And you're, you're like, no, that's all right. I got it. No, I insist I'm going to do this. You know, it's somebody that's going to hold the door for you. And you're like, no, that's OK. I, I got it. I can do this. No, I insist. I'm going to do You know, I want somebody who always wants to do good is always thinking about someone else. When I think about this, I think back to my days at Freed Hardeman. I think of a man, uh, he was probably a year, maybe two older than me, Tim Tarbot, who was in the chorus. And that guy was annoyingly good. Oh, everybody loved him. Because he would do everything. He was always standing, ready to serve somebody, ready to give somebody a word of encouragement, a pat on the back. Somebody looked stressed, he'd come up, hey man, you know, he's, he'd rub your shoulders and just, just talk good to you and say a good word for Jesus. Annoyingly good. 
always serving, always loving, always ready to serve, serve, serve someone else. He didn't care who it was. Serve, serve, serve. The man lived, and this is, you think about, I think about people who were Christ-like, and the most Christ-like people I know, this guy who lived like that, Tim Tarbett. Love him. Still preaching today. I haven't talked to him forever. But man, what a wonderful, wonderful man. Be that person. I tell myself this every once in a while. But then I come home and sit down and I tell my kids to go to get something for me. <laughs> you know? We get a little lazy sometimes, don't we? We need to be annoyingly good. And Holly's probably going to remember this phrase, too, to remind me of this. Remember what Titus said? Be annoyingly good. Why don't you annoy me today? I want you to annoy me, right? <laughs> Look for opportunities. And if you have somebody like, I have Tim Tarbot, annoyingly good. If you know somebody like that, you know it doesn't matter how big the thing is that you're doing. Just do good for others. Put them first. Love them. Because Jesus loves you like that. He was, he's annoyingly good to us. He is great. He is perfect. Let's be good. Do good for others. And don't forget the big things, too. I, am, I guess I'm emphasizing the little things. Find ways to do great things for people too. All right. Number four, malign no one. Malign no one. We are to malign no one. This idea, you know, this, this one's got a little bit different translations in the different versions. And I kind of like to look at those. The, the other translations say speak evil of no one. One translation says insult no one. Man, this is a challenge. You know, we see somebody do something that we don't like or we disagree with. Man, you know, we just go off. We just say, this is a, say something bad about somebody. In the church, outside of the church, walking down the street, somebody we meet in the store, we just see something we don't like, we say it. Not to their face, we say it to somebody else. But this verse says, speak evil of no one. Don't insult anybody. And this should be the reminder to us is that, you know, our mindset towards others is that Jesus loves that person. God loves that person. I love that person. That is going to dictate how I treat that person. Whatever God does for me and he has loved me much, I'm going to do for someone else. Malign no one. Fifth thing, still in verse number two, be peaceable. Peaceable. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Create peace. Well, it's literally that word is one word, and it starts with an ah, um, ah machos, I think. You know, the, the word macho, a macho man is kind of a, you know, strong fighting man, I think is according to the Greek is what it goes back to. Be a fighter. A macho man is a fighter. Well, the word here is amachos, not fighting. 
Don't be a fighter. We just talked about maligning no one, being ready for good deeds. We are, so don't be the opposite of that. Don't do evil and wish evil and don't fight with people. And so now I add some thoughts to this letter A here. Even when fighting for the truth. We are to fight for the truth. We're supposed to fight the good fight of faith, right? This letter is written largely because Paul's saying, Hey, I put you in Crete. Stand up for the truth against those heretics. So fight. But even when you're fighting, fight peaceably. Not physically. Not maligning somebody. Don't speak evil of somebody, but... If they're speaking something that is evil, don't fail to point it out. Even when fighting for the truth, we can be peaceable. We're not going to get angry and upset and lose control and just blast somebody and we just feel like we're such a rage at somebody we want to just hit them. It's not how we fight for the truth. Letter B there says, well, I know one, but let God's word be applied to Christian hypocrites. So a couple of verses here, Titus uh, chapter 1, verses 10, 11, it says, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, well, now let me read verse 9 with it. Holding fast, the, and it's talking about elders here, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that you will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So there's a sense where we stand up strong and fight for the truth, the teaching, the doctrine. Verse 10, for there are many rebellious men. He's not calling names. He's just pointing out the truth. There are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Stand up to them, but do so peaceably. Correct them. You might win them over to the truth. But notice, this is, the verse, add six, verse 16 to this. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and disqualified for any good deed. So it's peaceable with all men. Notice what that, be peaceable. This is kind of this, how you treat everybody. Showing the very, the next couple says gentle, showing every consideration for all men. This is kind of, this is how we deal with people. But there is the one time that you can really kind of start to take the gloves off and start to work hard and heavy on somebody. And that is when they claim to be a Christian, but they're teaching something that is against Christ. That's when kind of the gloves come off. I think according to this book, the book of Titus, you can just kind of see it here. You think about Jesus. You know, malign nobody. But he looked at the Pharisees, you snakes, you vipers, brood. And he told them where they were going wrong. Boldly and powerfully. But yet, some of those Pharisees were, came to be believers and to be saved. So be peaceable, but still fight for, don't be a fighter, but fight for the truth in the right way. And number six, be gentle 
You're going around doing good, not fighting people, but being gentle. You're going online. You know, there might be an opportunity that you have to to tell some heathen the truth. But you don't go, you're a heathen that just doesn't know anything, you idiot. Bible says the fool is set in his heart, there is no good. No, you approach that heathen who is foolish, and you say, have you considered this? Have you considered Christ? Have you considered this about Jesus? Have you considered this is a possibility that this is true? You approach them gently, peaceable. You, uh, you share the truth in love. You season your words with salt. Now, if you're dealing with heretics in the church who are spouting things that are going to send others possibly to hell, be ready to take the gloves off a little bit there. But even then... Be cautious, right? Is that fair? Does that make sense? Maybe. Number seven. Show every consideration for all people. Be considerate all the time. Be gentle all the time. Do whatever you can to serve somebody because God loves them and since God loves them, you Love them. As followers of Jesus, we must be subject to rulers and authorities. We must be obedient, be ready for every good deed, malign no one, be peaceable, be gentle, show every consideration for all people. Be good like Jesus was good. Love others like Jesus loved them. This is what it means to be a Christian. And it's not easy. It's not easy. We fail. But luckily we have Christ in our lives to help us. He forgives us when we fail. And he helps us grow from day to day. He helps us to be better. But we remember what we were like. We know that we've got to be kind to those who are lost. Because we once were lost. Verse number three puts seven things together here. We had, uh, I listed it as seven things. It was really eight, eight things in the, in the first couple of verses. Now there's a, the contrast to it in verse number three. And verse three says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, Spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And then verse 4 starts with that word, B-U-T, but. But God came along, changed everything for us. Praise be to Him. So since God has saved us, we remember what it was like to be those people who are lost, who are stuck in sin. Since we remember what it was like, we want to just show the love of Christ to everyone. We've got to. We must. We know what it was like without Jesus. We don't want to go back to these things. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Spending our lives in malice and envy. You know, envy is one. All these probably, we, there are times we got to pause and, ah, I can't be like that. Yeah. 
you know, things. We don't need to, I don't like to use the, this proverb, we don't need to keep up with the Joneses, right? But in our case, we want to keep up with the Joneses because they live these annoyingly good lives. We want to keep up with our Joneses, Richard and Jane, right? But folks, let's, we don't, those people are next door neighbors that have, seem like they have all the stuff and all the gadgets or the uh, nice car or the whatever it might be. We look at somebody else on Facebook and we think, man, that person's got it together. Oh, I wish I had this or I had that. You know, we don't envy any of that stuff. We don't want that because we've got Jesus. He's our everything. He's our all. We've got it. We are rich in Him. We don't need to spend our lives in malice and envy. We don't need to be in that the one hateful or hated. Uh, it's detestable. We don't want to be detestable to God when we live our lives in an evil way. We're detestable to others. No, people don't like evil people. Hating one another, fighting with one another. Let us be annoyingly good. Our life in Christ is a huge contrast to our former life. And I want to acknowledge as I, as I say that, you know, there's um, that contrast from our, our current life in Christ to our former life. For some of us, it's, whoa, drastically different. Some people grew up in the church and were taught about Jesus, loved Jesus every day of their life. I remember uh, an, another story from my chorus, if I may. Uh, I remember the director of the chorus he said one time, he, he said, uh, Dr. Harvey Rhodes, he was like, I can't sing that song because it's not true for me. He couldn't sing a song because it didn't fit him. And the song was, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. He was like, I always knew, I always believed, and, and at the right time, I made that decision to follow Christ. He was like, I never spent years in vanity and pride, caring not that Jesus died. It, so, hey, we all have different stories, but he can understand, too, what sin is. I guarantee that. He can identify with any of these things, but we all can know and understand what it means to be foolish, to be disobedient and deceived, enslaved in lust and passions. We can probably think back to something this week and know when we struggled with one of these things. But our life in Christ is a huge contrast to what we would be without Him. And we are going to keep growing and maturing in Christ. Without God's grace to save us, we would all be the extreme in all of these things of verse 3. Can you imagine if there had been no Jesus, no Christian influence in our nation, in our lives, or in the world in general? Can you imagine? Look at that list in verse 7. The world, we would have blown it up by now. It would be done. We would have been a part of it. We wouldn't be here, would we? The bombs would have gone. The nukes would have been created, probably. And we would have used them. We'd all be ashes, wouldn't we? We know the difference. We know the contrast. We know what it means to live the Christian life. So let us give our lives fully to Him. I encourage you to be annoyingly good this week. Try it. 
And I encourage anybody, if you're in the audience and you haven't given your life to Christ, today's the day. Give your life to Him. And then start living an annoyingly good life. We're going to sing number 501. Take my life and let it be. When we take our life and we give it to Christ, this is the life we'll live. Annoyingly good lives. If anybody needs to respond today, I encourage you to come as we stand and sing.